This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 127. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, handling court reporters seeking to videotape your remote depositions for quote-unquote backup purposes. Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great week as always. Our team received an email last week from a litigator in Chicago who ran into an unusual situation and she wanted to know the best way to handle it if it arises again. She told us that she was waiting for a remote video deposition to begin in a federal case and she logged in only to see a notice on screen advising that by proceeding she was consenting to the videotaping of the depot. So she clicked past the notice screen, but then asked the reporter what the deal was. Court reporter says his agency, which is one of the largest national reporting firms in the U.S., has recently issued a directive to its reporters to begin videotaping all remote depositions as an additional backup method. Additional as in, in addition to the standard audio recording. All right, footnote here backup really or has this national agency decided that having a video recording of every remote deposition it takes will create an opportunity to further monetize the process by offering it as an additional charge is it in the same vein as the way some reporting conglomerates have embedded other changes in your depositions and invoices such as for so-called litigation packages which make the basic deposition transcript a lot more expensive. And what are the risks to you and your client from the routine videotaping of remote depositions by reporters, ostensibly as a backup tool, but potentially available for either free inclusion with the official stenographic version or for purchase as a value added unofficial version? And then how big a leap from there to efforts by a party to offer this unofficial version at trial or final hearing if something happened on screen that is relevant to the issues. Under most circumstances, a judge would certainly have the discretion to admit the unofficial video if it tracks the language and testimony of the stenographic version and if there's no sign of alteration. So the takeaway of the day is be very cautious about the seemingly benign and harmless actions and explanations of court reporters who videotape or attempt to videotape your deposition when no party noticed it that way, asked for it, expected it, or consented to it. Anyway, in the case of the Chicago lawyer, none of the parties had designated video as an additional method of recording under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30B3B and its state equivalents. That rule, both subsections A and B, explicitly say it's the parties who designate the method of recording, not reporters, not deponents, not non-parties or their counsel, not the court. Reporters aren't authorized to create any official recording that wasn't properly noticed by one of the parties. Now, obviously, reporters have long used audio as a method of backup. The backup isn't an official version, and many reporters have deemed the backup audio as work product or the personal property of the reporter or agency and won't give it to you 
voluntarily. Some do, but most will not. And courts have honored that, not always, but often treating the backup audio as the personal property of the reporter and beyond the reach of the litigants. It really depends on the jurisdiction and judge. So we haven't traditionally thought a whole lot about how that audio backup might be used, but a video backup is materially different because it obviously provides a wealth of information that's not embedded in the stenographic or audio versions. So if what the reporter told the Chicago lawyer is correct, you might start seeing court reporters hit the video record button as a matter of routine in lots of your remote depositions. What to do? Well, the answer is the same as what we said in episode 125, which was titled, Handling an Opponent's Last Minute Notice That They Are Videotaping Your Deposition. Object on the record. Consider also moving on the record orally for a protective order. Consider following the deposition once it concludes with a written motion for a protective order with the court and also a motion in limine at the appropriate point once you get close to the final hearing or trial. The fundamental question in every situation is whether videotaping has been properly and timely noticed. Since the federal rule and its state analogs provide no authority for a court reporter to independently create a method of recording not noticed by a party, the procedure for dealing with improper, unnoticed video recording by a reporter is the same as if it were being done by a party. And in the federal system, and again state analogs, it's Rule 30C2 titled Objections, which says in part that an objection at the time of the examination, whether to evidence, to a party's conduct, to the officer's qualifications, next one's most important, to the manner of taking the deposition, or to any other aspect of the deposition must be noted on the record, but the examination still proceeds, which is to say the testimony is taken subject to the objection. So if you log into your remote deposition and you notice that the reporter is recording video, you must object on the record. Having a conversation with the reporter and maybe other lawyers before the deposition uh, begins is a good idea and that might solve the problem if the reporter turns the video recording off. But if the reporter refuses, for example, says, well, this is what I've been told to do by my agency. I'm sorry, I can't do anything about it. You must object on the record. That's the language of the rule. Objecting before you go on the record will not protect your rights. And a judge that applies this text literally will say that conversations before or after the deposition result in waiver of the objection. And it's sufficient to say something along the following lines once the witness is sworn in. Now, this is a sample. You can be more or less formal. I might say something like the following. Once the witness has been sworn in, the deposition's underway. Before the deposition began this morning, I noticed that the court reporter is video recording this deposition. But the rules authorize parties and no one else to designate methods of recording by proper and timely notice, and no party has done so. For that reason, we're lodging a formal objection under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30C2 to the court reporter's addition of videotaping as an unauthorized, improper, and prejudicial method of recording. And we object to both the fact of video recording of this deposition and to its use in any form under any circumstances in this case, as well as to its sale or release to anyone under any circumstances. 
Now, if you want to add some frosting on top of that, you could also simultaneously, in addition to your objection, you could also simultaneously move for a protective order, again on the record, to limit or forbid the use of video for any purpose. Federal Rule 30D3 authorizes you to do that, specifically to limit a deposition on the ground that it's being conducted or has been conducted in bad faith or in a manner that unreasonably annoys, embarrasses, or oppresses the deponent or party. You don't have to stop the deposition to make an oral motion for a protective order and seek an order enforcing it. Now, Rule 30D3 does allow you to suspend a deposition if you so demand for the purpose of seeking a formal protective order, but the correct approach in the case of improper videotaping is simply to let the deposition proceed after you make your objection on the record and after you move on the record for a protective order. And then, of course, you can immediately seek relief from the court after the deposition is done. That's the correct approach because Rule 30C2 specifically says that if you have an objection to the manner of taking, you make your objection and then the deposition proceeds subject to the objection. That rule specifically addresses this kind of problem. So it overrides the more general right to terminate a deposition for unspecified general harassment, annoyance, or oppression. You can also, as I've said, move in limity as you get closer to the trial or final hearing where the video might be used. Well, why is this a big deal? Well, most reporters have long claimed their audio recording, at least, is just a backup, is proprietary, is their personal work product and cannot be produced and will not be produced. And courts have supported those characterizations. We covered this in the book on which this podcast is based, 10,000 Depositions Later, the fourth edition at section 6.20 titled Obtaining the Reporter's Backup Audio. That's page 209 if you've got the book. And on page 210, we listed a half dozen cases where courts have addressed this issue of who, if anyone, can get access to the backup recordings of reporters. It's a little fuzzy, to say the least. Some courts have said, no, you can't have it or access it at all. Some have said, well, I'll let the lawyers listen to the audio if there's a dispute about whether the transcript is correct, but they can't have their own copy. On the third hand, in some cases, reporters have uh, distributed copies of the backup audio upon simple request by one of the lawyers. And some of them have turned them over in compliance with a subpoena for a backup. That's all uh, included in the cases on page 210 of the fourth edition. In most jurisdictions, there is no law forbidding court reporters from sending the backup audio and now maybe video to whomever they want. If it's work product, there's nothing to prevent them from waiving their work product right, the same as a lawyer might, at any time. And so that's one of the risks. And to ask further, why else might this be a big deal? Well, remember that a large number of court reporters don't turn off their audio recordings during breaks in the deposition. There's no need. Most of their voice recorders are voice activated. The recording stops when the talking stops. And that's one of the reasons why we tell lawyers to immediately exit the deposition room when they want to have private conversations because there's almost always at least one tape recorder rolling in the deposition room at all times when things are being said. And the same risks would also now be true of videotaping. 
If the reporter doesn't stop the videotaping during breaks and if your deponent or the witness doesn't turn off his or her audio or video during breaks, the reporter will capture everything that's being said and everything that can be seen on the video. Maybe your client or deponent made a physical gesture or movement that has evidentiary significance. Maybe there are documents or other items in the background that your client or deponent didn't think to move out of the way because nobody expected videotaping. Items, documents, and other people or objects can be examined at great length if they're on video. And again, not all reporters treat these recordings as work product. But to illustrate, we point to the Court Reporters Board of California, which has a publication available online, link in the show notes today, titled Best Practices for the Use of Backup Audio Media. Now, this hasn't been updated to include video, but here are some of the things it says. And by the way, it refers to the backup audio media by its acronym BAM or BAM. Among the points made in the flyer, number one, the BAM file may be provided at the request of an attorney or party to a proceeding at the discretion of the court reporter. Next point it makes, if it's turned over, the reporter should ensure that no confidential or off-the-record discussions are contained in the released recording. Well, good luck with that. You just can't rely on a court reporter's editing skills, assuming they had the time to do that or remembered that there were off-the-record conversations on the video. Another point it makes, if the reporter and or reporting firm offers BAM as a value-added service, there you go, offering the backup media, audio or video, as a value-added service, in other words, they're going to sell it to you, all parties should be advised at the start of the proceeding. And that's really an express acknowledgement that the backup audio or now video may be available or will be available for purchase. So clearly the reporting agencies are looking hard at the process for revenue stream enhancement, for opportunities to monetize the depositions. And that's understandable. They're a business like every other. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to be on high alert when you see your reporter videotaping testimony without anyone's consent. You should not assume that it is as represented, meaning purely a tool to ensure the accuracy of the stenographic record. And there's reason to ask yourself if that's what's really going on here. Because why? Because audio alone as a backup media has worked just fine since depositions were first allowed in civil cases nearly a hundred years ago. As court reporting has become more competitive and more corporate, as mom and pop shops are being swallowed by large national operators, we should expect more aggressive efforts to monetize every facet of the deposition process and to capitalize on the lack of meaningful restrictions on what can be done with those backup versions in most jurisdictions. In fact, the regulations governing backup recordings are all but non-existent, except for occasional court opinions that firmly declare the recordings to be the property of the reporter or the reporting agencies. I think, unfortunately, that those opinions from days gone by might have an unanticipated consequence now in characterizing that backup media as the property of the reporter that would arguably give these large conglomerates, all court reporting agencies, a toehold 
to say they can do whatever they want with the unofficial backup recordings because it's their property. Can they sell it? Can they offer it to the public? Do they have the right to add editorial enhancements such as subtitles, editing, commentary, narratives, and sell that with respect to depositions that might be of commercial interest to the public? We ran across an opinion that came out a few months ago during research on another episode where the court said that a party may generally do whatever it wants with material obtained during the discovery process as long as it wants to do something legal. That's an exact quote from the opinion. And we put that in the show notes. That's the Maldonado case. Well, if parties can do whatever they want with whatever they get during the discovery process, what can a court reporter do with the videotape where courts have said that this backup media is the property of the reporter? Now, am I sounding the alarm on this? Well, maybe a little bit. It's hard to say. This is a brand new development. You'll just have to see how it plays out. It may well be that this is purely intended to be used as backup media, but I'm not so certain about that. And I read you that blurb from the uh, Court Reporters Board of California where they make very clear that a reporter may be able to offer backup media as what it called a value-added enhancement. So it's important to decide for your client's protection how to handle this ahead of any remote video deposition. It's no longer just enough to be prepared to address improperly noticed videotaping by an adversary. Now you've got to be ready for the court reporter as well. Okay, some practical tips and then we'll wrap up. As always, start your approach before the day of deposition. Prep your client on the assumption it will be videotaped, those remote video depositions. Take that into account. Also, consider having your scheduler or your assistant or whoever sets up the depositions reach out to the reporting agency to confirm they will not be videotaping as backup media. Consider also reaching out to opposing counsel if the reporter will not agree to forego videotaping and stipulate that the videotape will not be used for any purpose in the proceeding. I've talked about discovery stipulations in the past. That was episode 22 and the fact that Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 29, uh, titled Stipulations About Discovery Procedure, specifically allows lawyers to make stipulations about discovery between themselves. You can say in your email that you want to reach a Rule 29 stipulation if you want to be formal about it, or you can simply say in your email that you want them to stipulate to it without referring to the rules at all. In Episode 22, we pointed out that in federal court, at least, Judges don't particularly care if you use the language of the rule because most judges will treat any sort of discovery agreement between the two of you as a Rule 29 stipulation, whether you realized that's what you did or not. Next point, on the day of the deposition, ask the court reporter if there was no prior conversation to stop the recording. If they don't, and if you haven't already talked to the opposing lawyer about this possibility, have that conversation right then. See if you can get the opposing counsel to stipulate on the record that the video will not be used in any way in the proceeding. Once the deposition begins, express your objections on the record and also orally move for a protective order to forbid the use of the videotape in the proceeding. And then after the deposition's over, move swiftly to obtain a protective order barring use of the video in the case. Also, Ask the reporter on the record, if you deem it necessary, what exactly are they capturing? That's an important question because unlike an in-person videotaping, 
you can't get behind the videographer's camera and see exactly what the view is. Are they videotaping a gallery view which captures all participants on the video? Are you being videotaped without your knowledge? Is the reporter making any effort to turn the video on and off during breaks? Are they turning the audio off during breaks? Is this truly purely for backup purposes? And will the reporter stipulate on the record that it is purely for backup and will not be sold or released to anyone under any circumstances at any time. Now I did say earlier that the proper procedure under the rules is to make your objection on the record, orally move for a protective order, and then allow the deposition to proceed subject to the objections. But of course, if there's reason to believe that recording at all, released or not, may cause harm to the witness or to someone else, you may have grounds then under Rule 30D3 or its state equivalent to then temporarily suspend the deposition for this purpose as well. The exact same rationale that might have led you to seek a protective order because you have a trauma victim who would not want to be videotaped by an opponent would apply to these kinds of recordings by a court reporter as well. Now you might also decide that allowing the recording to be created at all, even over objection, is sufficiently prejudicial. In that case, you can either pause the deposition and call the court for a ruling, or you might reach agreement with opposing counsel to immediately reschedule the deposition to another date and time. Canceling it unilaterally, at least in federal court, might create problems for you because of the rule that you can only take the deposition of a witness one time without consent or court order and a court may find that once you go on the record, however briefly, you've used your one opportunity to depose that witness. All right, that's it for today. As you often hear me say, very interesting stuff. What to do when it's the reporter who surprises you with an effort to videotape the deposition. As I said, those old decisions that flatly declare the backup media to be the property of the reporter may prove problematic. Before the pandemic, reporters never showed up at a deposition with a videographer in tow and start videotaping the testimony. That would have set off fireworks for sure. But it's very different now where there's no videographer and no associated expense to the agency. They just push a button. It's not as obnoxious, as obvious, as overt, but the end result is exactly the same. So it's important for us to protect our clients and our witnesses, especially in an era where video can be edited, altered, and uploaded for mass consumption and possibly sold by organizations that courts have said over and over own that backup media. That's it for today. As always, have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon.